Hello and welcome to episode 104 of the 1099 for the week of August 7th, 2017. I am your host, Josiah Renauden, and with me today is a senior editor at GiantBomb.com and the man who currently holds the crown for best hair in games, Brad <laughs> Shoemaker. Brad, how are <laughs> you doing today? Uh, not too bad. I uh, set out a call on Twitter just kind of being like, hey, if you were going to ask Brad something, what's the burning questions? Of like the 20 tweets I got, I think 18 were hair related. Um, so I think you have a brand now. Like, I think oh, this boy. is a thing. I'm very glad we're not on video because I'm at home and my hair is a complete mess. <laughs> not <laughs> not remotely like, styled. People were like, "What's who's his barber? What's the products? Like, I oh, you boy. could maybe get some sort of endorsement deal for Yeah, the, I don't know if I'm not quite being paid for any of this stuff yet, but maybe I should look into some representation. I don't know. Th- this might be a side gig. Uh, yep. Yep. I mean, also, I mean, you've recently been semi-forced into a room to watch Kingdom Hearts kind of off the beaten path here. But, yeah. Uh, how is that I, are you cer- holding up okay like is, certainly did yeah i mm, that thing is uh hmm. do you know think if, you're gonna make it to kingdom hearts 2 or like is there an office pool for how long brad well this is an, a unique almost breaking brad level of how can you make oh, it through these games i don't actually know if it's my place to speak on that but <laughs> uh, that entire thing has been packed baby uh I'm going to have to defer to him on that, I think, for reasons that will become clear later. <laughs> oh, man, that's a great teaser for something I'm going to have to I'm going to have to play coy here for now. <laughs> OK, all right, all right. I won't dig too much into it then. Uh, so whenever I get a chance to talk to someone who's been doing games media long enough to go through the heavy writing days and still remain successful and relevant as we shift more toward video, I'm always interested in how difficult or even how easy that transition was. I mean, you have an English degree, and for the longest mm-hmm. time you wrote reviews, yep. did features for GameSpot. I, I know you've also done a lot of the uh, heavy editing work for the reviews that still go up at Giant Bomb. So mm-hmm. at this point, do you actually prefer covering games through video, through quick looks, through podcasts, through streams, the way you're doing it now? Would you Would you actually like to go back to the days of previews, reviews, and heavy writing? Or for you, is this more natural? Uh, I mean, definitely not the way we did it at GameSpot because it was just such a uh, there was a, such a churn to the way that we covered games back then. It was a you know the mission statement was to cover everything like a blanket, right? Like every game got a review, every game got like massive amounts of pre-release coverage, and it was just a, a grind, you know. Yeah. Uh, it was it was very. I mean, I think we did a lot of good work, but it was very assembly line back then. You know, it was very formulaic. Um, so. Even the sites that are focusing on written content now are doing it in a much more dynamic and interesting way than we were back then, you know? Yeah. Uh, but for us, writing is, it's its very, this is not, I don't mean this in a bad way, but it's very laborious, you know? It's very mm-hmm. exacting. It's its a long process that requires a lot of thought and a lot of revision, you know, kind of going back and going over things over and over. And everything we do now is so off the cuff and immediate, you know? Like it's... Our, our kind of our, our entire model is just built around sitting down and hitting a button and going right so yeah. like there's such different well i don't know if i should call them both disciplines because <laughs> there's not much there's nothing very disciplined about most of what we do these days but uh they're they're so different that it's 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 almost like you know when when we focus on writing it's almost like a a completely different website to to what we do on the video side do you read a lot of modern games criticism? Because like you mentioned, when you think back to the old GameSpot reviews, uh, I always look back at like, it was almost a math equation to a certain extent. And maybe that's oh, yeah. that's that's kind of devaluing into it a little bit because, you know, there was, there well, was no, hard I mean, work that went into that. There was like reviewers yeah. tilt and like yeah, stuff like that. We've talked about it numerous times, but I mean, we had a literal spreadsheet with an actual formula. <laughs> like if I, if I dug around on my hard drive right now, I could probably find that Excel spreadsheet that had the GameSpot uh, 
review formula in it. So like that's that's not an unfair criticism at all. And it has changed. I I freelanced for GameSpot for about oh geez like two years or something like that during like the Kevin Van Or days, and there was kind of this encouraged to think outside the box to tackle games mm-hmm. differently to do stuff that you look at Austin Walker at Waypoint or uh, yeah. there's some other sites out there that tackle games differently. You talk about you know battlefield hardline what people now remember about that is like the criticism about police brutality and stuff that maybe wasn't tackled before so uh, you mentioned you don't want to go back to those GameSpot days but is there any kind of desire in your mind as someone who you know has that english degree enjoys writing to tackle games in that way maybe look at them with a more critical eye than do that math equation uh there there are so many people out there doing it so well right now that i would actually i would sincerely be a little intimidated to try to throw my hat into that ring yeah uh, to be perfectly honest uh yeah like people like austin and i mean there, you know there are sites everywhere i don't i don't read as much as i would like but i at least sort of try to remain aware of what people are talking about and, and how um and yeah like you know like i said we have we have gotten so loose and kind of silly with with things over the years that i would finding it pretty pretty uh pretty imposing or daunting challenge to actually go back in that direction at this point because you mentioned the giant bomb could be loose and silly would actually suddenly having this deep critique of a game almost be off-putting or against the tone of the website or you think that i don't know not, not at all i mean i think you know like when we when austin was on board he he excelled at that sort of thing and obviously mm. he's he's going even further in that direction at waypoint of course they you know they 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 get up plenty of hijinks themselves over there but uh no no i, I don't think it's out of place at all and like honestly when we you know we just brought in uh our two new our you know, our, our millennial hires are on the staff now. <laughs> uh, but like, I kind of think of the website as an incubator for just the things that people are interested in to some extent, you know, like when, yeah. when, when they came in, you know, obviously there's, there's structure and plenty of ropes for them to learn and that sort of thing. But like at the same time, like working with Ben, I've, you know, kind of said to him, you know, you've got a tremendous amount of creative freedom here. Nobody's actually just going to come to you and say, okay, you have to do X, Y, and Z, and you cannot do these other things, even if you think they're valid approaches, you know, as long yeah. as, as long as you put the effort in and the idea is borne out as, as being valuable, like you're pretty much free to, to pursue whatever you want. Yeah. Are a lot of these new feature ideas that are coming out, you, you think about, I've had Dan on the show and he talked a lot about, you know, kind of throwing ideas before at Jeff and now at Vinny for like, we should try this, we should try this. And now there's like steal my sunshine. Or you think of like demo derby and stuff like that. And I had Abby on recently and she was, you know, they just have that new pot, the millennial new millennial podcast. Mm-hmm. And they're talking about doing stuff in the future. When it comes to the new hires who you said, there's not, they're not constrained, but is it a discussion that they bring up during like a weekly kind of scrum meeting where it's like, here's what I'm thinking. Here's what I'm thinking. Like, do, does, do you and Jeff encourage, like, go think of a new feature idea? Or does that kind of just happen naturally? Uh, I'd say it's a lot more organic than that for the most part. We do have a weekly kind of Monday morning meeting that is very planning focused. Uh, but actually thinking back on that meeting, very little gets actually pitched during that meeting. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a lot more for formal, just like, all right, what are we recording when and who's doing what and that kind of thing. But like the ideas for like the kernel uh, that that most of this stuff starts from, at least in my experience, is way more out of just like BSing around the the office, you know, mm-hmm. like uh, a lot of times like people just hanging out, like like shooting the shit, you know, just, just joking about something like some dumb joke will actually lead to like, oh, wait, hey, we should actually do that as a video. So yeah. uh, it's it's a lot more. uh I was going to say collaborative, you know, but, you know, some, sometimes people certainly do just sort of come up with an idea and say, Hey, let's do this. But, uh, a lot of it, it also does come out of like riffing on stuff and just kind of chatting about whatever. And then, and then people kind of stop for a second and say, Hey, you know, that might actually be a, a valid uh, direction to pursue. How much do you look at 
community and audience feedback with that kind of stuff because you guys have a really incredible community like every time i ever talk to anyone who works at giant bomb or is even giant bomb adjacent like a dave lang or anything like that like those are the biggest episodes because people really care they really want to hear from you guys so when you post this first episode of kingdom heartache do you look a lot at those comments and change at all how you approach it moving forward or is it maybe more valuable at this point that you have to kind of turn the blinders on to a certain extent and do things the way that you you know you want to do it in the way it happens organically i think it's it's some of both equally i mean you know you certainly take all feedback into account uh you know some of it is definitely more constructive than others uh but uh you know it's certainly valuable to see what people like and and from from both an anecdotal perspective just what people are posting on the content but also you know in terms of the numbers you know because frequently the numbers the traffic numbers you know the the metrics tell a different story than or you know maybe a complementary story to what's to what's being posted in the comments underneath yeah um our uh i was actually just scrolling through our slack our, our business guy posted kind of a little inspirational image in our slack recently uh that's labeled the one percent rule okay uh that basically says of a given kind of of a given audience for something that 90 percent of the audience is is purely in a uh, consumer role mm-hmm. and and of the remaining 10 percent uh, uh only nine percent sorry i'm looking over this uh like you know nine percent may comment on or share or upvote stuff uh but the the kind of the most vocal uh portion of your audience is like one percent roughly i mean obviously yeah. that's kind of pretty fuzzy math but like you know there, there's a there's a very vocal minority on the internet with stuff like this uh and i think it's it's it can it can uh, whatever i mean this is very classic uh a, a very classic problem with uh situations like this but it could it could be very easy for a vocal minority to kind of take an outsized role in in coloring what you think the response is mm-hmm. you know it, it can be really hard to look at people who are very loudly saying something and not feel like those are, you know, that's representative of everybody that's, that's watching your stuff. If that makes sense. It, it makes total sense. And I assume it has to be weird for you. I would assume early on a giant bomb, maybe back in like 2009 or something like that, when you started appearing on quick looks and then later on when you were on camera more, when you read those comments, I remember just GameSpot stuff when people are critiquing my writing or anything like that. No matter how thick of a, of a skin you have, reading some of those first comments, they can get to you. Like they can kind of like, oh, this, this bothers me. For you, I mean, for the first time early on, you were on camera and stuff at GameSpot, but you were in a much more prominent role at Giant Bomb. You were doing you know, video reviews. You were reading off scripts. And then later on, you were just kind of being yourself on a couch. Did it take you a while to not just feel comfortable in front of the camera, but to feel comfortable reading responses to how maybe you were delivering a line or (laughs) like just you know making a joke or anything like that like did it take a while to be able to just feel comfortable being on these videos uh that that process is ongoing and i don't ever (laughs) see it ending to be like i'm you know i i I say that somewhat flippantly but it's also completely sincere i mean uh certain certain personality types are much more well adapted to this type of position than others and i don't necessarily have one that's especially compatible with it i mean there's you know to a certain extent you kind of just have to get on with it and tell yourself okay if you can't handle negative uh you know comments or or feedback you need to just not look at it yeah that's kind of what it ends up being a lot of the time um we're in the fortunate position that at least you know 98 percent of the stuff we do you know accepting stuff like a pax panel or or 
the very rare occasion where we have some kind of live group of people in front of us, you know, like mm. we uh, are generally on a couch in a room by ourselves, you know, so there might be cameras there and, and you might, if you were to look at the live stream, know that, oh, there's, you know, X thousand people watching this. Like it's easy enough to put that out of your mind in the moment. You know, if you're just kind of staring at a TV with a game on it and talking to people, you know, uh, it, it can be pretty easy in the moment to, to just put the blinders on and, and get through it. Uh, yeah. But you know, every, every time I stop and consider like, oh, there's two, 3000 people watching right now. Like, uh, it, it can be nerve wracking for sure. Even if it is still nerve wracking and you still think about it. I, I agree. I think no matter how comfortable you get every once in a while, it's in the back of your mind. You're still thinking like, am I saying this the right way? Am I coming off? Okay. Yep. Uh, when totally. was the first moment? I don't know if there was a crystallizing moment for you, a light bulb over your head moment, but did you have a certain year, or a certain time where suddenly you at least felt more comfortable or at least good about how you were on camera? Because uh, early on, I remember watching myself on camera and just being like, I can't, I cannot look at this. Like, I'm yeah, off on okay. this line delivery. I'm coming off as either monotone or maybe too excited. Like, I cannot find the right balance. Like, when did you kind of find the right balance where you're like, I, I still hate watching myself, but <laughs> I know I'm doing a better job? I don't watch myself as a rule. I can't. I just, I cannot stand it. I mean, I just, I cringe yeah. so much that I just, and, and that's a terrible way to get better. I mean, I know it's really self-defeating or, or counterproductive not to do that. Uh, you should, if you're in any kind of position like this, you should really <laughs> suffer through uh, the experience. But uh, yeah, God, some of that, some of that early GameSpot stuff is absolutely brutal. Like that's, that should be stricken from the internet. <laughs> I, know I mean, you possible. can't help it. Like if that's the first time in front of a camera, like reading scripts and stuff, it's yeah, there's only I mean, so much you can do. You know, we were we were certainly in those days not hired for camera presence. You know, it yeah. was much more about how you could write and and that sort of thing. But uh, gosh, um, we figured it out as we went so much uh, with Giant Bomb that, like looking back on it, it's all it all felt like kind of an organic process. You know, like there wasn't really one. You know, we didn't wake up one day and say, "All right, like we've we figured it out. We've defined the giant bomb method." You know, and now we're just going to get on and do it. Uh, yeah. It was it was just something we kind of fumbled our way through. And you know, you have like, I you know, I was I was very much kind of the odd man out uh, early on because you had you know, Vinny, Ryan, and Jeff are all kind of natural hams or cut ups to some extent, mm-hmm. uh, and could uh, you know they could they could riff and improv and and flow uh, a lot better than I could, but. Uh, you know, if you, you hang around that stuff long enough, you kind of pick up enough tricks that you can you can sort of hang with it. So um, probably, I mean, if you, if you I, th- I tend to think of the history of Giant Bomb in terms of kind of what office we were in or, yeah. you know, there are eras that, and I, I would assume the audience kind of shares that to some degree because, you know, you can see what backdrop we had. Mm-hmm. You know, there was the, the crappy Sausalito basement and then we moved to the, the office with the, the brick walls. Uh, and the crazy bar, and then we got acquired by CBS, and then we were in a you know a, a corporate cubicle farm after that. But uh, I would say that second whiskey media office, where uh, it was the one with the brick walls, it was where we were doing the whiskey media happy hour, and yeah. we also had like the tested guys and, and people like that around. Um, I think that was probably the era that we really kind of dialed it in. You know, that's when Patrick came on, um, and we were working with those other whiskey sites. I think I think that was the area the era that people really started feeling it kind of gel yeah, uh, and and become kind of the early version of what it is now. Yeah, and I feel like there's probably, I think there's a lot more live shows during that era too. At least that's when a lot of them started with yes. like TNT yes. and uh, like Friday shows and stuff like that. Big live live show where you're just on all the time and have to be on. I would assume that also the, the knowing 
when you're doing a quick look, you can edit out something or if, if something goes bad or like someone gets, you know, just has a brain fart and doesn't know what to do, you could edit that out. I would assume knowing that like I have to be on because this is broadcasting out to thousands of people would probably change a little bit, maybe help you grow in that way. A little bit. Yeah. You, you definitely have to think on your feet more. Um, although uh, we, we had kind of an early crash course in that because, you know, we've said it numerous times, but like quick looks were largely born out of necessity. You know, it was because we had so few people and, and so few resources, we had to be able to do something in a very lean, quick, efficient way. Yeah. Um, and part of that meant we basically could never go back and edit a quick look. Like that was, the whole idea was like, <laughs> all right, we're going to sit down, we're going to hit record. We're going to bust out this video. And when we're done, we're done. Like it's going to go up. Um, so in a sense, not being able to nail even the recorded videos on the first take, uh, would have defeated that entire purpose yeah. from the beginning, you know, like that would have been making a lot of extra work for ourselves. So we kind of, we had already gotten that experience, uh, of, of sort of going without a net, uh, by the time we got to the actual live stuff. Was becoming the host of the Bombcast a whole new level of maybe not nerves, but understanding an entirely new scale because being Kinda. being a someone who's featured on a podcast or i would assume if you're leading a quick look it's different than being a host being making sure you're able to kick over certain subjects and certain people if you have guests you got to understand the certain cadences understand uh kind of how they they're best on a show did that take a long time to get used to that and has it been like a much larger workload yeah, that was, it was super intimidating. Just, I mean, you know, there were, there were incredibly big shoes to fill there because, yeah. you know, Ryan, Ryan obviously was the host forever, but Vinny and Jeff had also been the host at, at various times. So following all those guys, like just, just that alone, uh, made it super intimidating. But, uh, I really, I just kind of fell into it, uh, out of necessity, you know, like, uh, Ryan had passed away and I think this was after Vinny moved to New York, if I remember, and Jeff just happened to be out of town because inevitably, you know, yeah. Even, even, you know, if you've, if you've only got three, four people on a staff or in an office, inevitably somebody is going to have to be out at some point. Uh, so I just did it and the response was good enough that it was like, oh, maybe, you know, maybe I should take this over for a while. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it, again, like it was, it was, it was another one of those situations where it's like, all right, well, I know this is going to go out to a large number of people every week, but none of those people are in this room right now. Yeah. So I can kind of just focus on the people around me who I all know very well. Uh, and try to just have an interesting conversation and, and keep keep a show moving and uh, sort of learn as I go. So that's basically what I did. It only really got super nerve wracking once we moved to the live format. You know, we're on video now. Oh yeah. Um. So that definitely added an extra layer of pressure. But uh, but it was it was easy enough to to just sort of like figure it out as I went. Yeah. Yeah, and like you said, I would assume because you know these people so well, and because people, especially like Jeff, are able to if things start maybe swerving a bit, he can just pick it up or make a joke mm -hmm. out of the situation. Same thing with like anything Vinny's involved with, no matter the situation, there's a certain level of comfort and that yes. kind of maybe a safety net to a certain extent. In that vein, I mean, because Giant Bomb is so personality driven and uh, in a lot of these situations, you need to have some sort of uh, chemistry with the person you're talking to. Uh, how much time does it take in your mind to kind of, once new people come in with Ben coming into the West office and Abby coming into the East office, do you kind of feel a responsibility to help make that gel to uh, kind of ease them into that situation? Because like we've said multiple times, it, it can almost be like improv at some point. Like you, yep. you're, you're just, you're, you're riffing off what other people say. And if you don't have the chemistry early on, it can be difficult to get through a 40 minute to an hour long quick look. So, I mean, yep. is that kind of a process that you as someone who's been there almost since the start feel like you kind of have like a responsibility to foster these people in? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, it's definitely something we need to be thinking about and, and work towards, but at the same time, there's absolutely no way to force it, you know? Yeah. Uh, if, if you did try to force it, it would come off as, as incredibly fake or, you know, it would not, it would not read as genuine. So I think that's, that's something you really just have to, to develop over time. Uh, you know, we, we kind of cheated with Ben because he was one of our interns, yeah. uh, way back when, in fact, uh, he was, he was dubbed the King turn <laughs> for, for a variety of reasons back then. So we, you know, we already thought highly of him and, uh, had a had a reasonable idea of what he was capable of so so we had a we had a good head start with him but uh but yeah you know like that yes that is super important but but yeah there's there's really i don't think much you could out you know outside of you know you could go out drinking every night i guess and, and get there a little <laughs> faster but uh but it's something you just have to to let develop organically and i was talking to jeff about this not too long ago but i mean how intensive does that interview process have to be like for that very reason where you know you have to know like are you going to be able to fit in with this group? Is it going to work? Because amazingly, if you look back at everyone you fired, it's always worked. Like Patrick fit in in a, in a very like cool way, and you know Abby's doing great out east. And like I think the the Kingdom Hearts series has absolutely sold me on you and Ben as a combo. Uh, <laughs> sure. Like every everyone you've brought in, it's just kind of worked. So is that the major part of the interview process? Is being able to, like do you do a test run? Do you do a test quick look to see if like it works <laughs> like out? A screen screen test? Yeah, totally. Like, like, like when I, I did my uh, most recent job, I remember I'd like write an article, then do a mock interview to make sure I didn't completely fumble over everything. So is it kind of similar with you guys? Sure, sure. Yeah, we've never actually gone to that extent, uh, but it's absolutely something that is that, that everybody keeps in mind as we're going through that process. Ben Ben was the first one where I was ever really actively involved in kind of sitting in a conference room alone and doing an interview. Um, and, and again, like I said, you know, we kind of, we already knew his sense of humor and we sort of knew to some extent, like what we would be getting with him. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's the answer. The answer is yes and no, basically. Cause cause yes, it is absolutely something you, you want to think about, but on the other hand, you can't, you can't really know for sure until you actually get them in and really start doing stuff, you know? Yeah. Uh, and this is a complete tangent, but I, I think a while back, uh, there was reader mail and a bomb cast kind of about what you guys would all do if you weren't doing what you're doing. And with your English degree and your, you know, your love of writing and editing, uh, before any of this happened, before GameSpot happened, and let's say it didn't happen, did you have like aspirations to be an author, to be like uh, an English professor or anything Definitely, like that? Absolutely not. Absolutely. But, but, I, I started out, I started out in computer science. I put a year and a half, maybe it was, it was either two or three semesters into, into computer science. Uh, before I like English and writing are my natural aptitude. And I just sort of fell back to that when I realized like, Oh, this is a lot of math and I'm not especially <laughs> enjoying it or, or great at it. Um, so I wouldn't say that I actually planned very far ahead at all with this stuff. There was, a, there was, a, there was an awful lot of serendipity involved. Like I, I will not lie. Um, you know, I, I, certainly spent a lot more time playing PC games in college than is healthy. Uh, and, hanging out on the, on the kind of nascent internet at the time. And, and I made a lot of connections that way. Um, but I my the dirty secret is I have no idea what I would have ended up doing if I had not like lucked into this stuff. Yeah. So it's just more of a, it happened and here you are kind of situation. Does it kind of, not that I think you sit around and think about like, what would I do if giant bomb went away? But like, you've been doing this for so long. Is it kind of yeah. like weird to even think about that? Like, man, oh, totally, what would, yeah. what, like speaking of safety nets, like, do you have like, what would my safety net be? Yeah, it becomes incredibly frightening because you've done it for so long that you can't really imagine what else you would do in its place, uh, especially with, you know, like a, something as bespoke as what we've built. You know, this is not exactly something 
and like this happens all the time around town you know like i'm talking to you're talking to making small talk with an uber driver or whatever and it's like oh what do you do and you just say like i i work for cbs because you know they know what they know what cbs is (laughs) when i freelance for GameSpot, i said the exact same thing to people like ah cbs right yeah, because it, it takes 10 minutes to even possibly try to explain what it is you actually do. And, and consequently, like, I can't I can't take the skills that I have accrued from from this line of work and move to Peoria and just, like, find another job, you know? Yeah. So uh, uh, I I certainly don't want to make it sound like I feel trapped in it or anything like that. But, yeah. like, yeah, it is. It's there is no there is not necessarily like a logical sort of next step if you were to move on from this or, or you know, like you said, if the website magically vanished one day, like you wouldn't immediately say, well, I, I am now equipped to do this and I'm just going to go apply for it. You know, like yeah. it's, uh, it would be kind of a weird transition, but you know, like we've, we've all been in the industry enough that we kind of know what a lot of the other possibilities are out there. So like, it's not like I feel like any of us would be in a bad spot or anything, but yeah. Uh, but there's, there's not a natural transition really. Does the random Brad is leaving forum posts and things like that ever like maybe not bug you but weird you out? It's again like I remember I I did a podcast with Vinny and there this NeoGaf thread erupted because he said one thing that if you weren't listening right it sounded like he said like I might leave in the future which is not what he Oof. said at all not even close but someone interpreted as that so it started just this thread about like mourning Vinny being gone I'm like what the hell is happening so I'd assume you know you know how the community really cares about the group. Like, sure. is it weird seeing like the Brad is leaving stuff randomly and you just get confused that, that that one, that one doesn't bother me at all. A, cause it's so old. I mean, I think it's, that's very possibly the first site meme or one of them. I mean, that, that's it's from, close, that's yeah. absolutely from the Sausalito basement days. And also people are very creative with it, you know, <laughs> like the, the things that I'm leaving for, you know, like I'm going to go become a, a riverboat casino blackjack dealer on the Mississippi or something like that. You know, like the people come up with some good stuff there, but, uh, and then, and then sort of grandiose and wrongheaded interpretations or, or wild conspiracy theories based on like offhand comments here and there, like is a whole separate can of worms that I don't know if I want to get into. Uh, people, people read a lot of what they want to read into things that are said or not said, or, you know, just goofy glances or whatever. I mean, it's, uh, it's a weird thing. I, I don't, I really don't know how to approach that stuff. People, uh, people come up with some wild ideas. Yeah. It's, and it still goes on. I got, when I mentioned that I was going to talk to you on Twitter, I got three emails about it. I'm like, this is just a long running thing, isn't it? Like it just never dies. Yeah. Uh, we mentioned writing before and how like, you know, at this point, giant bombs, mostly video live streams, podcasts and stuff like that. But you do, you do still do reviews of the big games from time to mm-hmm. time, especially at the end of the year. Uh, in, in your mind, what purpose do reviews serve at Giant Bomb? Because if yeah. you're someone, let's say like me, where you listen to you guys in the podcast, uh, you watch a quick look, or you see that you guys like play a game on a UPF, you have a pretty good idea of what you think about it. Um, you understand your sort of uh, your view of the game, and by the time the review comes out, you can kind of guess the score and maybe even guess the tone to a certain extent. So for you, does writing the review feel more like you're closing a loop based on like, okay, we did a quick look, we did this, let's just close a loop, put a score on it? Or do you feel like you can say something a bit more and maybe expand on your feelings in a way that wouldn't work otherwise? I think it's it's both of those things, but there's, you know, the whole process, and you've done it, you, you know this, but the, the whole process from start to finish of, of crafting a review and and kind of logicking out a score and, and putting it on a website. Like there it's, it's a, it's a very formalized process that makes you feel like you're kind of doing something a little more durable than just kind of making offhand comments on a podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Um, some of that, I think like, uh, 
I know, I know Jeff and I are the most, I think on the staff are kind of, I don't want to say stuck in the game spot days, but like you never, I don't think you ever quite get completely out of that mentality. Yeah. Uh, the thing people used to say about GameSpot all the time back in the day, and like I, I, this was, this came from like developers. This was not us saying it, but like I remember multiple kind of fairly prominent developers back then talking about GameSpot as like the New York Times of uh, of games coverage. Oh wow! Uh, and like. I, I don't think they meant that in terms of like grandeur as much as like more like kind of tone mm-hmm. uh, and structure. I mean, it was it's a very it was a very like dry formal thing back then, right? And and reviews were sort of like this is like this is the all right this is the ultimate like enduring assessment of this game's quality and it's like it's unassailable and this is our statement. You know, this is what we think about the game. Like for the rec- you know, for the record, like the, like for the duration of history, this is GameSpot's opinion on this game. And like I think we still have some tendency to want to do that with, with certain games that we think are important enough to, to rate that kind of treatment. Yeah. Um, and then like, there, you know, there's also just sort of a, it's not, it's not exactly metrics driven cause you don't necessarily sit there and eyeball the traffic on every review, but like there are some games that you just feel like need a review, right? Absolutely. Like, the, you know, like the annual call of duty release probably should get a review. You know, <laughs> like we should probably be out there saying, all right, this is, this is in a formal setting, what we think of this game. And, and, you know, like I reviewed Mass Effect Andromeda, which, you know, like that, I played that game for 80 hours before I reviewed it, but like, like, dude, it's the new Mass Effect game. Like, of course we have to review that. Yeah. You know, like there's some, some games are just too, uh, I was, I was gonna say too important, but it's maybe it's more of a matter of public interest. I mean, like, it, you know, it would be crazy if we did not review a new Mass Effect game, right? Yeah. So, the new so Mario, we, like the new Mario yeah, has exactly. to get a review. Yeah. Or, you know, like Dan reviewed the new Zelda, cause obviously we're going to review a new Zelda game. Like some, some games just sort of rate that kind of treatment. Is there a certain game you have pegged in your head for the end of the year that you absolutely want to review? Like something you've seen out there that you're like, I oh gosh. really need to play this all the way through and actually put all my thoughts into words. It's uh, weird. This, of, this this year was so front loaded that like yeah, I keep forgetting what's you, coming you out mean, at the end of the year. Yeah, you mean of the remaining releases? Yeah, it's the other remaining I, releases. Yeah, I would almost have to pull up a list. It's, it's hard to it's keep bizarre, in mind. Bizarre, right? I was just looking at it because we're just currently in kind of the tail end of this the doldrums right before i think madden's three weeks away and then we're off to the races at that point but it's this this year has felt so strange where we've had like hit after hit early on there's this yep. little bit of an indie wave and then i mean the end of the year you have your assassin's creed you have your your call of duty your battlefront which is the battlefield replacement but other than mm-hmm. that there's not that much i feel like uh i mean destiny 2 is an obvious answer for oh me. there it is uh you know there's <laughs> let's <laughs> maybe not dwell on that more than we have to um <laughs> I'm very interested in the new Wolfenstein. Oh, like, same I, they're, they're yeah, they're they're you know doing some pretty bold stuff with that thing. I, I won't say much more than that until we actually get a, a closer look at it. But uh, that would probably be my answer. I mean, let's see. Like I'm I'm interested in a lot of the games coming out for the rest of the year, but I wouldn't say I'm excited about many more besides yeah. Destiny and and Wolfenstein. Uh, it's like okay, yes, there's new Assassin's Creed. Like they say, they're changing a lot of stuff. Let's let's see if they actually you know did did the work that they needed to do. Yeah. Um, a lot of a lot of potential known quantities. I guess I would say the new uh, the Shadow of Mordor sequel. Oh yeah, I, I keep forgetting that's coming out too. Again, there's like yeah. so many random like lingering games that I keep. Maybe the end of the year is better than I think it is. It just feels like everything. Ha- I mean, not to spoil it all, game of the year discussion later on. But do you currently have like from the first half of the year kind of the game that stands out for you? Because uh... I think we're probably similar. Where Battlegrounds was the surprise that I can't stop playing. Yeah, I don't know if it's I gonna was, be a I... game of the year, but it's close. I was, obviously, I was gonna say if we, you know, if we 
named game of the year based purely on hours played it would be a shoe in. it's incredible um, at this point like i have like 80 hours in this game in that game i have no idea where that came from um i'm i'm way behind i mean this happens every year but uh i've played about an hour of near uh about an hour of horizon oh man um just resident got, evil 7 yeah i haven't played re7 yet uh i Put 60 or 70 hours into Zelda, but I only beat one of the four dungeons, so I'm not sure <laughs> if that qualifies me to talk about it or not. But yeah, I've still, I've got a stack, you know. And and like, actually the last couple of weeks have just been like chock full of interesting indie games. Yeah. Uh, and I need to get through a lot of that stuff. I I need to finish Pyre. Uh, Tacoma I am, just came out. Yeah, Tacoma. I haven't even started Tacoma yet. I am playing Hellblade from Ninja Theory right now. I don't think I can, I can't really... Actually, I'm not sure when this is going up. But uh, it'll go up Monday, but I'm guessing I I'm talking to them too. I think the embargo is next week. Yeah, sometime. that's 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 before the embargo. Yeah, but, uh, but yeah, like there's you know like the uh, a couple of weeks ago because we you know, we look at the release schedule every week and say like all right, what's coming out next week? Let's start thinking about who's doing what. And like the last couple of weeks, we've been going like ah, there's nothing coming out. But then every week when stuff starts rolling around, it's like oh wait, like three really interesting indie games just flew under the radar this week you know like it's just kind of a constant trickle of that stuff yeah and especially if you look at any sort of steam releases where it's like every day there's this new random thing that you know could be awful it could be a complete tire fire because tire fires make it in steam more than maybe they should but (laughs) there's also just these random gems that just i feel like they happen out of nowhere where suddenly something someone releases a dead cells was one for me where like Mm -hmm. i had no idea about that game and then suddenly i saw a polygon review and i'm then I was obsessed with it for a week. Like there's a lot of stuff like that that I feel like happens more where maybe we are not going to have the craziest fall in the world, but maybe it doesn't matter because there's all these sprinklings of things in between. And I may say it's a dead period right now, but it kind of doesn't feel like it. I'm assuming if you're covering games. Sure. I, I feel like like the opening of the steam floodgates is like a podcast unto itself. It's, at this point. I mean, that thing is, is such a, like a, an evolving quagmire. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. It's, it could be an absolute, I mean, PSN is, approaching not that same level but you're yeah. seeing that same stuff on consoles too where suddenly there's like why is this mobile port here why is this early access game that is like really early access like yeah, there's I mean, barely anything in it yet sony sony seems to be taking a similar tack to valve and in, in that just about anybody who can get a game certified can release it on their store i mean That's you incredible. end up with uh oh god what is the name of it the thing that jason pulls up on upf like once a month uh inner inner kung fu game oh you, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know i'm talking about like you end up with stuff like that it's just like dude, you guys are a multi-billion dollar multinational conglomerate or whatever. Like, what are you doing putting stuff like this out on your download service? But it's I guess it's kind of cool in a way. I mean... It's fun. Uh, I mean, I'm happy we get to play Battlegrounds at this point, even though it's not yeah. technically done and there's like major updates and sometimes it just crashes for me. But uh, like, Yeah, I mean, although as, as many problems as that thing has, like uh, kind of bugs and some questionable design stuff aside, like it's felt remarkably solid as a commercial product to me oh yeah pretty much since it came out i mean you know like there's a, z- a zillion things they need to fix and 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 some some design elements that need to improve but uh as early access games go like that one i have not felt like i was getting shortchanged by playing it before it was like quote unquote out or anything like that it was weird it feels like we're in the early access stage of early access games where like there's it's still such a new concept that sometimes people throw out something that's just not should not be in front of people yet and they're like all right poke and prod at this thing and then i'll make updates to it but then we have something like a battlegrounds or again dead cells where that's still in early access but if you play what's there it's tight it works like everything 
I, I wasn't running into bugs. I felt I could tell it wasn't feature complete, but you could tell it was what was there was polished. So it's kind of this: do you release half a game that's really polished and then improve on it from there? Do you release a whole game that has a lot of you know murkiness to it and try to update it from there? Like I still don't know if we've reached a point where developers know what early access means. It's 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 a weird situation. It's always been weird on the PC, and now it's getting weird on consoles. You know, with stuff like Fortnite coming out. Oh yeah. Like even though, uh, well, Xbox has game preview. They I was gonna I was gonna say the consoles don't really have like a formal kind of early access category, but the the Xbox totally does. But but Sony does not, and yet, you know, you launch Fortnite on a PS4, and the first thing you see is a big yellow early access sign. God, it's. Uh, and that's like one of the and most yet, streamed games on Twitch right now. Like yeah, it's right around it really? the top. Oh, it's like it it just huh. passed. Um, it passed something crazy the other day. It might even pass Battlegrounds. Like it's way up there. Wow. Like I, I I think that game is pretty interesting. It's it's way too early for me to put any to like to invest any serious time in. But like I I could see it getting to a point where it would be a lot of fun to play. But it doesn't strike me as the most entertaining streaming game because it's just you know like the building. I guess I would say like in in the fort building there's some uh potential for kind of creative expression but otherwise you're just sort of like fighting off you know mindless waves of enemies i don't i don't know that i see the potential for like storylines or drama to emerge there the way you get with something like a battlegrounds if i if i could predict you know streaming trends i would probably the next michael factor that could be yeah right the like, next yeah. thing that you do uh, that could really that that's your safety net you can just predict future streaming successes Oof. uh <laughs> you talked about earlier how a lot of what giant bomb does is kind of just you know, organic. It happens from ideas you have, maybe new hires bring new things, and that's how a lot of the feature ideas. And it's also, of course, based on industry trends where unfinished happens because of early access, because of betas happening all over the place. A lot of the content you do is based on who you have there and uh, the way the industry is moving. And I'm not going to ask you to look toward, you know, predict the future in any sense, but uh, do you and maybe Jeff and Vinny often take a step back and try to figure out, like, where is this whole games coverage games media thing going because you you went through all of the heavy writing days you were very early in on you know talking over videos of games and now you do live streams and you know streaming battlegrounds and stuff so do you kind of spend time taking a step back and trying to predict maybe can we get in early on what happens next or is that impossible to do uh i guess i would say like once a trend is starting to emerge you know there's some potential for that but but from a very, very big picture, long-term perspective, there's really no way to know where that stuff is going. You know, it's not like, you know, it's not like when we started doing Quick Looks. I mean, that was 2008. Uh, God, that's almost 10 years it. ago. Yeah, right. And it's not like we had any inkling whatsoever that video on the internet was going to become what it has, right? I mean, yeah. like, like I said, we arrived at that format basically out of necessity. Uh, and that was at a time when YouTube uploads were limited to 10 minutes, you know, like, the conventional wisdom was like, people don't want to watch long videos on the internet. Like that's never <laughs> going to be a thing. Like what the hell are you doing? Like marketers did not want to sell ads on, on videos that were more than like 90 seconds or three minutes or whatever it was. It's incredible. Uh, so even, even as we were kind of on the bleeding edge with some of that stuff, it's not like we were sitting there going like, ah, we're doing this before anybody else. Like we're going to change the world and make a bazillion dollars or whatever. Like it was, it was just, we were fumbling around in the dark, just like everybody else, you know? Yeah. Um, it's it's i mean it, it's it sounds like the most obvious thing in the world but it's so incredibly difficult if not impossible to like really accurately predict where any of that stuff is going so like i wouldn't i wouldn't even sit here and pretend to be able to guess at, at, at what like the next big sea change is you know because like we we've said this before you know there were there were video game magazines in the 80s and 90s and that stuff gave way to 
like kind of the formal commercial video game media outlets uh, around the turn of the century with the GameSpots and IGNs and that sort of thing, they all have largely ceded territory to, you know, YouTubers and streamers. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what's after that, you know? Yeah. Like, like it, it largely feels like sort of YouTube and Twitch personalities are like the institution now, you know? Well, you know, game, traditional games media obviously still, still has its place, but like streaming and YouTube arrived in a way that like it is kind of the thing now. Uh, and I don't know what follows that. I mean, it's history certainly suggests there will be a next thing, right? It so, seems like it. I mean, and then we, we, we kind of recently had a little bit of a renaissance of writing where you think of there's Waypoint and Glixel both at once, which kind of focused on this idea of culture writing and talking about stories uh, behind, you know, games, behind developers and behind, you know, maybe even like people who do esports and stuff like that. So like, mm. it feels like there's a little bit of a swing and part of me thinks that it might go a little bit more toward the middle instead of so video and streaming focused. I don't know. Maybe I'm entirely wrong. And everyone by the end will have a YouTube channel exclusively. Like, yeah, it's, it's very possible. I mean, I guess if you go back and look, it's, it was, you know, it was very much about like who had the means to distribute the information, right? Yeah. You know, obviously if like, in the early days, you needed to have access to a magazine publisher to print magazines and send them out there. And then once the internet came around, anybody that had a computer and could get hired by somebody who would pay them to do it could could write about games at that point. And like the YouTube story has been the the like utter and total democratization of of the means of getting stuff out there, right? Like yeah. anybody with like a half decent laptop can be doing stuff on the internet at this point. So who's left? You know? Yeah. Like everybody has access to it now. Like I, I don't, I don't know. Like maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe right. Maybe it does. Like maybe there is some sort of rebirth of expertise. You know, like it starts swinging back toward like, okay, these are people that devote their their waking lives to like esports or whatever it is uh, that are able to start attracting more attention again. I, I honestly have no idea. Do you have a personal favorite style of content to do? Like whether it's quick looks, live streams, podcasts. Like, is there something that you maybe look forward to the most in a regular week um or even like of the game of the year stuff uh, of the stuff that we already do or? yeah well i mean you this could also include like if anything you wanted to bring back that you did at GameSpot too this goes back to the writing too like is there any certain thing in games media you like doing the best yeah or even even stuff we've done at giant bomb that we don't really have like the the bandwidth or, or time for oh yeah like the big i mean i show yeah well yeah the some of the live stuff is cool actually i miss a lot of the edited videos that we do mm. or that we used to do um i mean <laughs> it's easy for me to say that because i wasn't doing the editing and production <laughs> at the time you know that was largely people like uh people like Vinny and drew slaving over a hot uh premiere timeline for two or three <laughs> days at a time uh but like i i think i think we used to like i was just watching um i just watched our old iphone app commercial over the weekend oh yeah uh, like we used to do stuff like that more at a, I was at a time when there was a, just a demand for less volume, you know, like there was just a, a less of d demand for total hours of video put out every week. Mm -hmm. Uh, so we were able to put a lot more time into individual videos. Uh, and I think we came up with some pretty, pretty cool stuff back then, but like, it's just, especially the way that we're, we're split between two offices now, like it's really hard to say like, okay, this video producer is now going to go dark for two days and work on one five minute video yeah. that probably is going to get about the same amount of traffic as, as any random quick look that we recorded for an hour, you know? Is, so. is there hope to do more that you mentioned? Like it, it's hard to do. And uh, you look at like Abby's in a lot of the streams and the videos and the podcast happening. So it's hard to suddenly just be like, Hey, like you said, you go do this and don't be involved with this content. I know when I had her on here, she mentioned, 
you know, the hope that maybe someday she can do more kind of tight videos, more edited stuff. Like, do you think that is on the horizon? Maybe if you guys expand even bigger or like you said, is it just maybe better to stick with the the quick looks and the stuff that yeah. you can just get up immediately? Yeah, I think we're, we're getting back to that point as we as we have brought some people back on uh, that we could spare somebody for uh long enough to do something like that like another angle to look at it from is that there are always ways you could be doing things more efficiently yeah uh like i that's actually one of the things i have found the most personally satisfying over the years of doing this thing is kind of like stepping back and assessing all the tools you have not just in terms of like personnel and like who's in which office and whatever but even like just the like the technology that's out there you know in terms of ways to record things uh and editing tools and just like kind of you know, using every part of the internet Buffalo, I guess, like, like really looking at, looking at all the things at your disposal and kind of coming up with, uh, more creative ways to make use of what you have and the time you have, uh, to get better stuff. I mean, like that's kind of where quick looks came from, you know, it was just, it was just like one day it was like, well, what would it take to record live talking over this video as we play it, as opposed to like, you know, laying in some audio later, that's going to sound all awkward. Cause we're talking about something we're not even playing. And yeah. like, like that worked and it kind of turned into the core of what we do, you know? Uh, so, you know, these days we've got consoles that are recording literally everything we do on them. Uh, there's all kinds of, there's probably all kinds of like untapped sort of technological potential out there that we could look at making use of that could make that stuff a little more feasible. Even though you've been doing this for a long time and you've done a little bit of everything in games media, you know, all the way back from the GameSpot days, uh, are you still able to, from time to time, and I think the E3 live shows might be the best example, to kind of take a step back and realize like how cool and crazy a lot of this stuff is when you have Samoa Joe talking to Austin Creed on a couch, or suddenly Lauren Lanning is talking to Jeff, or Phil Spencer, or Ed Boone, or all these people. Uh, maybe when you were grown up, you were like looking up to these people as you know the, the, the developers, the designers behind some of your favorite games. Is there still kind of a... Uh, a certain amount of wonder to a lot of what you do again especially these live shows where you're meeting all of these people absolutely there actually i had a profound moment of uh, of that sort when uh i forget if it was samoa joe or xavier woods one said like very offhandedly tossed off a comment about like well Cena was playing clash of clans and then we did blah 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 <laughs> and it's just like dude really like you just like like you throw that out there like it's nothing. I mean, to them, it is nothing because it's their everyday lives, you know. But to us, it's just like like you were casually talking about like the biggest wrestler in the world playing a dumb mobile game <laughs> and how that got you. You know you know what I mean? Like it was, yeah. it was very record scratch like, wow, this is insane that this person who knows this other person is sitting in this room talking to us like willingly and, and seems to be enjoying it. Um, I have definitely never lost that that feeling of, of both like privilege and wonder about the whole thing. Um and as much as it's cool to see games before they come out and like know things that not everyone in the general public knows and stuff like that, like it's always, it's always primarily been around the people for me. Yeah. Uh, getting to, you know, getting to say like, Oh, I met so-and-so, you know, esteemed game designer. I got to do an interview with, with person I have read about in video game magazines for 20 years and, and that kind of thing. Uh, and I, I was going to say, I don't think that'll ever go away, but I guess the the best way to put it is if that feeling ever went away, like you should hang it up, you know, like yeah. you're not, you're not cut out for this line of work anymore. If you're not uh, feeling incredibly fortunate to, to, you know, be meeting and picking the brains of the people that make this whole thing go. No, absolutely. And I, I do think the early wonder uh, for me was always like, Oh, you get games early. You're playing the Madden, you know, the new Madden three weeks for anyone else. And, 
the more you do it, the more you see early games as like, oh god, I've hit a deadline. Like it, it's still <laughs> sure. cool to see it, but you also immediately see it as work and hours you to put in uh, late into the night and all that writing and everything like that. And yeah, it was a I had a recent moment too when I was talking to Adam Sessler on this podcast and just kind of stopping for a second. And he turns his Skype on and suddenly it's Adam Sessler in front of me. And you kind of have to stop and be like, this is weird. Like this is really cool and this is bizarre. <laughs> yes. And I know like a lot of people in the business have seen Adam Sessler all the time, but me, you know, I'm a little bit younger. Like I, uh, coming home from like high school and watching X play all the time. And then suddenly being fa- like not face to face, he wasn't there, but seeing him on Skype, I was like, you know, this is still really cool. Like the, the, yeah. the, some of the wonder that you do get when you get early review codes, some of it's still there. I'm, I'm excited to go play Pyre right now. And there's like other games that haven't come out that people are sending me and that's awesome. But it is the people still for me that really stands out. I, I think like when you said, yeah, like it's, it's weird to see Sessler on the other end of your Skype or whatever. Like yeah. you should, you should always be striving to make sure it still feels a little weird. Cause that's, <laughs> cause that's how, that's, you know, that's how you know that you're still doing interesting stuff. Right. Yeah. Like, uh, like we, we had, we had, uh, you know, Janina Gavankar from well, oh, she's yeah. Battlefront two, but she's on TV, you know, like mm-hmm. that was the revelation for me. It was not like, Oh, she's headlining the new star Wars game. It was like, wait, no, she was in true blood. Yeah. She was you in know? the league like, and like, yeah, like a whole bunch of other things. Like it's, 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 you know, now it's, it's when we're getting wrestlers and actors and stuff like that. It's like, these are people that do real stuff, not like silly <laughs> video games, you know, not, not that, not to denigrate video games as a, as a business or a, a form of media or whatever, but getting, getting people from other areas of popular culture, and seeing that like they take what you're doing seriously enough that they want to be a part of it is like a uh, weird and awesome, you know, like it's, it's, it's flattering or validating. And then also just kind of insane at the same time. And knowing she's a giant bomb fan too, has to be a little bit yeah. weird. Like she's like yeah. randomly quoting things or like tweeting about it. And it has to be like a, how the hell did we get here? Kind of well, I mean, like Vinny, Vinny was able to go back and look at like, he found some tweets that she had sent him like a year and a half ago when we didn't, like her her Twitter account seemed very unassuming. Like it didn't exactly scream like you know like relatively well known actress or yeah. anything like that. And it was just like it's like oh wait <laughs> like what? That's you know it's it's just like I guess it was this sort of feeling as like oh giant bomb fans like they live among us you know like they're out there <laughs> in society and you never know who they might be. Yeah, uh, it was that was a really cool moment for sure. And so you know like you kind of always want to keep looking for more of that stuff to you know. Make sure it's make sure it's still fresh and, and relevant to some extent. Speaking of giant bomb fans, I mean, it has to be weird for you to a certain extent to be this internet celebrity is the worst possible term I could ever use. But yeah, I, I, I can't, I can't stand it. I, I, yeah, here's and I use this example with Jeff, and I think it works. I remember I went to um your PAX panel in 2013. This is uh, this is the breast milk PAX panel. Uh, mm, is how I always sure. remember it. And I remember there's a long line. Everyone's waiting for two hours. And suddenly Vinny and Jeff walk by and it's like the Beatles just come in and people are clapping <laughs> all over the place. And it's this sure. very bizarre scene that like in this certain internet bubble, it, you know, it makes a lot of sense outside of it. Maybe not so much. And even me talking to you for the first time now, like I have all this info about you that has to be weird to a certain extent because you have no idea who I am. I'm suddenly rattling off all these different things. Like is, is that still bizarre to get used to, to be this internet public figure to a certain extent? I mean, hundreds of people listen to jeff drive home and like willingly do that and love it and will not miss one of his drives home so has ever have you ever reached a point where you're like this is too much this is a little bit too personal for me like do you like to try to keep your your private life as private as possible and just leave everything else that you do to you know just giant bomb stuff so there i think there there are two parts to to what you just said there's the like having people know who you are aspect Mm -hmm. uh which I am kind of incredibly uncomfortable with actually, which makes me very ill-suited for the role that I'm in. But, uh, 
you know, some people, some people like crave that level of sort of fame or notoriety or whatever. Like they, they want to achieve that. Like I'm super uncomfortable actually being the center of attention, which again, like <laughs> it means this was a pretty weird career choice that I just <laughs> fell into. But, uh, uh, like, the, so yeah, like I have, uh, I have really like sought to maintain a private life and like, you know, not, not let that stuff mix. Uh, you know, some people, some people I know are very happy to like talk about their, you know, talk about their, their wives and their kids by their first names and like not worry about people going out and like Googling who they are or trying to find pictures or whatever. Yeah. That's uh, like that, that is a hundred percent not me. Like I, I really like to keep that stuff separate, uh, and like try to not, you know, I'm not sure how to put this. Like I, I'm never going to be the guy that would be out there like celebrating like, yeah, look at me. Like I am awesome. Yeah. Like, yeah. that's right. You know, you did come here and clap for me. You know, it's like, I, I feel, <laughs> I feel, I feel both like very, uh, humbled by it and also like very unworthy of it. If that makes sense. You no, know, like, I, I, I totally a, get that. There's a little, little voice in my head is always going like, ah, you know, that's, you're just, you're just like them, you know, like you're just somebody who likes video games a lot and like happen to be lucky enough to get to do this for a living, you know, but you're not, you're not actually any different than the people that are here that came to see you, you know? Do you think um, you'll be able to appreciate it more when there's distance between, you know, when it happened? Like, you look at that Breaking Brad Call of Duty moment where I think you were actually trending on Twitter at one yes. point when you beat yeah. that. Like, in, in the moment, it, it, it's cool, but then, like you said, it's also kind of weird because it's not your personality. Do you think maybe in the future when you're not doing this anymore, you'll be able to kind of take a step back and be like, that was really yeah, crazy and, and uh, awesome? Uh, yeah, appreciate it for what it was. I mean, that that's a weird example because I actually did allow myself to feel pretty proud of that one mm -hmm. because I think I think because there was such a sense of accomplishment at just beating that goddamn level, you know, <laughs> like there was and and the whole thing came together so well. I mean, you know, if you go back and watch the video, like it's kind of it's kind of hard to believe that Vinny triggered that chariots of fire track at like on the run that I actually beat it on. Oh, yeah. like, there was no way to know that I was actually <laughs> going to beat it you know, 30 seconds after he started playing that music. Like it, the point is it wasn't, it wasn't just me, you know, like the whole thing lined up well with like him queuing up the music and we had people like, like Eric Pope there cheering me on. Like it was kind of a, it was a group thing, you know, that, that just came together in a really sublime way. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, there, there's no question that, uh, you know, if this thing ended tomorrow or if it ended in five years or whatever, like I, I, I would absolutely feel incredibly fortunate for everything that we've gotten to do. Uh, like that's, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's definitely not, not even, uh, up for debate. Uh, the, the other thing I was going to say, you mentioned earlier, uh, kind of coming to this interview, knowing things about me, you know, like there's kind of, I guess there's sort of a, we're not on a hundred percent level playing field. Cause this is the first time I've ever spoken to, you know, to, yeah. to you, you know, so I don't, I don't know a ton about you, but obviously you know stuff about me just from, from watching us on the internet, but like, that's just kind of the internet these days, right? Yeah. Like that's social media, you know? I follow tons of people from the game industry that like, you know, I, I've met, I've met people once or twice or we're like very like passingly acquainted or whatever, but I don't know them. But then you run into them once or twice a year at like E3 or whatever. And it's like, I know a lot of personal details about what you've been up to actually, because you tweet stuff all the time, you know? And it's just like, like there is that weird voyeurism to just being on the internet and then participating in social media at this point, you know, it's that super weird like yeah, it's, it's super weird to there are people i consider friends who i've never heard their voice before right if you just happen to have an occasion to meet them you know like you i've done it myself you know it's like you you immediately just sort of want to start talking to somebody about something you know about them but you yeah. don't actually 
if you step back and think about it, it's like, oh, wait, like I don't know this person well enough to just bring up their career change or like whatever just happened in their lives. You know, like, I mean, yes, they, they elect to put it out there on social media, but at the same time, like that doesn't necessarily make me feel like great about bringing it up to somebody that, that I don't know very personally, you know? Yeah. It happens all the time for me. I mean, just on this podcast that if I meet someone at E3, like if I talk to someone on a podcast for the first time, we've interacted on Twitter dozens of times and it's like, Oh man, like this is your voice. This is what you're actually like. Like these are certain, you know, I mean, vocal mannerisms and stuff like that. These sure. sort of peccadillos come out where you're like, I had no idea this, this, and this. And then, yeah, it's a step further. Uh, I, I'm, <laughs> this is, I, I've been a giant bomb premium subscriber since the start and like listen to all you guys on, you know, the hotspot and GameSpot and all that stuff back then. And I, when I was like 21 years old, I saw Patrick Klepik sitting down at a PAX event and like, just that moment of like, I went over and talked to him was just the most bizarre thing of like, I've seen you on so many videos and now it's, this is super weird to actually see someone in person. It, it, a lot of that has dissipated over time, but yeah, it's, it's so strange that the internet and especially Twitter has gotten to this point where you can feel like you're close to someone without ever actually talking to them over the phone or Skype or ever meeting them in person. Sure. And you know, the, the flip side of that, the positive aspect is that it brings people together of like mind who never would have possibly been able to meet much less like become friends yeah. in the past you know i mean it's like that's 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 even how i got into this whole thing to begin with was hanging out on irc channels in the late 90s because in my little rural north carolina town like i you know i had like three other friends that i talked video games with and that was kind of it so uh even getting into like early dial-up internet it was like all right now i have an opportunity to like really get out there and be yeah. a complete nerd all the time uh about super obscure video game stuff that like nobody that I know in my, in my real life, like has any idea about or cares about. So, yeah. And it, Twitter can be an absolute nightmare and awful place, but there's also, like you said, there's this aspect that it brings people together and, you know, yeah. kind of even communities together that would be otherwise impossible. I mean, I, I sure. was born in a town, born and raised in a town that didn't even have like a stoplight. It was called Townville, which sounds fake as hell, but it's real. Uh, <laughs> and like the only people I was talking to were like, you know the hundred people in my school and my siblings and like now that you know there's just twitter and stuff like that you get to communicate with all these people you really couldn't in the same way before uh so i th- somewhat accidentally have brought up like what would you do if giant bomb was gone multiple times so i don't want to <laughs> down and make that a theme so to kind of close it out uh what's coming up on giant bomb where you still work and that still exists for and will continue to exist for a long time uh what's coming in the, the coming months that you can talk about i mean the kingdom heartache that series just started east again is doing steal my sunshine with mario sunshine there's other new shows happening like is there yeah is there another big live live show in the mix is there anything else you could talk about jeff at one point mentioned that he wanted to do big live live show in front of a live audience which huh that yeah. might have been a, a scrapped idea at one point but is there anything you could talk about boy man that even the even just the kind of in-studio version of that thing takes like weeks of of planning that would be pretty wild undertaking wild um I, I mean, there's some, like, there's some specific, well, we're always talking about content ideas that we might pursue. And there are some that I, I know of that are like, or that I could, I could talk about that are pretty close to coming together. But, uh, eh, you know, we, we try to lean away from talking about stuff like that until we're like, damn sure yeah. that it's going to happen just because a, you don't want to disappoint people and, and b like people also, form expectations based on things that you say that might actually not come together later on. Uh, it's why, you know, we've got this, 
we've got the kind of upcoming box on the site that shows stuff that's going to post in the near future, but we tend not to put stuff into that box until it is literally, you know, recorded, processed, like entered into our CMS and just like ready to go, you know, because stuff can always fall through and, and you don't want, uh, you don't want to leave people hanging. So, yeah. so there is stuff, but I'll, I'll, <laughs> like I said about kingdom hearts, I'll, I'll defer, uh, for now. Um, but just, you know, having, having these new hires in and getting things back up to speed, uh, and kind of getting getting a, a pipeline back in place and, and sort of cranking or, or firing on all cylinders, I guess is the right phrase, is, is kind of, I think, what, what we're working toward right now. Yeah, absolutely. Then again, anyone who does want to see what's coming up, like you said, there's that little section on Giant Bomb. Uh, you are Brad Shoemaker on Twitter. Uh, yes. And yeah, other than that, Brad, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, yeah, totally. Like like I mentioned, we talked about for a long time. It's It's weird this this world where i know all this stuff about you but you know i've been reading your stuff for a long time watching you know you on quick looks and listening to you on podcasts for a long time so it's it's cool to actually finally sit down the entire process talking to everyone at giant bomb has been super fun and i look forward to you uh i definitely look forward to the game of the year at the end of the year that those podcasts are when i drive from jacksonville back up to pittsburgh those a lot of like my time is spent listening to those podcasts. I'm interested to hear the fight for battlegrounds if it actually comes out <laughs> by the end of the year. Sure, and probably you going head to head with Dan because he's going to be think, trying to fight for Zelda to win it all. I think potentially a more interesting fight will be if that game doesn't come out by the end of the year. Oh, no, I've, it, ha- it has to be on the list. Yeah, right? the uh, the yeah the, the awkward situation that's going to lead to if that thing is not technically eligible for awards is going to be uh, pretty interesting. But uh, I think it should be an exception. But, uh, but yeah, thanks for having me. It's, it's been a pleasure, and, and thanks for your support over the years. Absolutely. Uh, thanks again, and thank you everyone for listening. Hopefully tune back in for the next episode of the 1099.